This is Raw Cut. This is Life Verse. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. And today, another intriguing real life story that you won't want to miss. Joining us in the studio today, we have another guest who I'm not even going to begin to try and pronounce your name because I tried before and I didn't do it really well. <laughs> so I'm not going to embarrass myself again. By Shall I give it a go? Yeah, you give it a go. Welcome, Farhang. Is that Very correct? Good. Very Excellent. Good. Well, so good to have you in the <laughs> studio and uh, to hear your story today. Looking forward to it. So take us back. Where did life start out for you? Um, thank you for having me here as your guest for today. And... Uh, it's an honor to be here and share my stories with your viewers. Um, my life began back in Iran. Mm. Uh, I was born in Tehran, the capital, uh, way back in mid-1960s. So I don't know if you've been around then or not. No, but... <laughs> no. And uh, so um, a bit about the sort of the areas and the family that I was grown up with. Uh, as I said, I was born in uh, mid-1960s. Uh, in a family of uh, four brothers, one sister, and parents. And uh, we sort of, the family, uh, uh, the belief was around the Baha'i faith, uh, which is basically one of the um, or the latest uh, religion that actually uh, exists at the moment, we believe. And uh, so we, we brought up with that culture. And uh, from the young age, uh, from the school and that kind of thing, we were encouraged to practice it. All right. Tell us what life was like having so many siblings around you. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a busy life mm. uh, that uh, the parents, I uh, think, uh, from time to time to struggle uh, with the children. And because the culture and the, the areas we lived in and brought up, it's, it's very different to the to the culture you see in Australian society. Mm-hmm. Uh, the families and neighbours and that kind of things are very close to each other. So basically the, the whole street and neighbourhood knows each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, they live as part of a community. And uh, uh, they're mindful of that and to see what the needs are for each uh, for each families and that kind of things are. So um, I had a lot of friends uh, in sort of to helping me and to get by from the, the sort of uh, five years old, that kind of thing. That's when I started school at the primary school. And uh, the the actual uh, the education system is a little bit different to Australia. So the, the whole uh, pre, uh, after high school, pre the um University mm-hmm. is divided in three sections. Once you've got the primary school, it's the same as here until year six. Mm. And then you have middle school, which is between seven to nine, ten. And then you go to the high school. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you, if you want to enter into the university or anything else, you have to pass another big exam, uh, which is part of that. Then you get into the, into the, uh, the choice that you have or you want to get. So tell us about that exam. What is is in that? What type of questions and things do you have um, to do? It it's probably covers a lot of things that you studied, mostly through your uh, high school. But mm-hmm. it, it, it looks at the uh, general knowledge as well, as well as uh, other questions related to life, to work out 
which areas and that kind of things you probably most suitable to and uh, uh, it, it's, it, it's a very it's a kind of a difficult exam in such a way that you need to have a vast uh, sort of amount of knowledge and understanding to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But if I can go back to the to the early years yes. in, mm-hmm. in terms of the thing is that, um, as I said, our family was seven people and unfortunately my father passed away when I was nine. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it was a difficult time for the family mm-hmm. to be able, especially my mother, Mm-hmm. And when I look back there, she was very resilient and very strong to be able to look after because I was at that age, I was nine year old. And then each of us about three and four years difference in terms of the age and different stages of our life. And to be able to hold the family together. And I think it comes back to her uh, upbringing as well as uh, as well as her beliefs. Mm-hmm. to be able to have the strong family and to date i mean she's in australia but she's at the nursing home but even the people in there sort of realize that her resilience and strength and never give up mm-hmm. so i try to actually learn that from her mm-hmm. and to to actually transfer that to my kids and the family as well yes so, what what is a the funeral of of your father do you, did you have a funeral or was there some type of different ceremony that you had when he passed? Um, it, it's because I said it is it, the Baha'i faith is this ceremony is kind of a, a bit different. Okay. Is as part of that, uh, we celebrate the life. We don't look at and sort of uh, be sorrowful and that kind of thing. Yes, we miss, we miss a father or a husband, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we believe that the real life starts after death, the spiritual life continues there as part of the biofit that gives us strength to look at all the, all the attributes that all the virtues that we need to acquire for our souls, because we see the soul as uh, an everlasting, uh, if you want to call it entity that a short time it actually lives here, but uh, and uh, gathers certain virtues like the ones. I mean, our belief is that when actually being the fetus at the womb of the mother, we acquire hands and senses for the use for this world, and in this world we acquire virtues and spirituality. To so when we depart from here, we use those attributes uh, in the next life for the everlasting life. So back to the funeral is that because our family was a huge family in sort of and uh, uncles, aunties, cousins, and all of them from both sides. Mm-hmm. And the friends of family, probably over 600, 700 people attended that. Uh, we had buses of the people transferring to the, uh, to the cemetery. Mm-hmm. And uh, as part of that, we have a devotional program. We say prayer for the progress of the soul. Uh, we have a kind of eulogy that uh, sort of go through the life of the, the person who passed. And uh, after that, uh, the people talk about the life and uh, basically celebrate that. Mm. And uh, yeah. Mm. My father passed away a couple of years ago, and I remember he had lots of people at his funeral as well. And I remember just walking out and feeling like surreal that there were 500, 
know, 600 people, they're all there because of him and remembering him and wanting to celebrate his life. Did you have a similar sense as well, being nine, that, wow, all these people are here because of my dad? It is. I mean, it is that, as I said, it's a celebration. And they invited to come over there to celebrate that life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it, in, in a way that can be viewed as, as a reminder for us that uh, this life would end at some stage. So why we are here and what we are supposed to be doing in here in mm-hmm. terms of uh, treating ourselves and treating other people and uh, to see how we can actually uh, help our soul grow. Yeah. Was that your first experience of death when you were nine? Um, I think it was. I can't recall anything after that. Or if, I, if I was attending something, as I wasn't realising that it is, because at nine years old, it's, it's, it's kind of a difficult to mm. understand the concept. And But uh, I remember that it's before that, because my father had diabetes and he actually passed away because of that. Uh, and I remember the suffering he was going through and difficulties because of the conditions. And to go there and understanding that he's actually revealed all of those uh, pains and he's starting his new life, it, it, it was very uh, yeah, comforting. And seeing people there, that they are there, they were there before then for support, they are there to support us, and I'm sure they did support us after that. It, it, it's very comforting, yes. Yes, that's all right. Well, we will come back and explore more here on Life Bus with Matt and Sarah straight after this. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. This is Life Burst with Sarah and Matt. We're chatting to Farhang, and uh, you've shared some uh, some significant moments as a child. Your father passing at the age of nine and working through school back in Iran. But in middle school, something significant happened um, for your life and the lives of many others in Iran. Yes. Um, at, as I said, there's three different sections in the school. So at, at the middle school, uh, the revolution in Iran in 1978 happened. Mm. And uh, before that, you could see all the signs of destructions and uh, demonstrations and the people coming to the streets and you hear uh, shoutings, uh, fires and that kind of things that happening. And a lot of people suffered as part of that. And uh, so the revolution happened in 1978 and as part of that, the uh, the governance of Iran, which was kingdom, it sort of transferred to the Islamic Republic. So it became very sort of a religious sort of uh, structure and the government, which uh, at that point started persecuting Baha'is because of the beliefs. Mm. When and, was this? What what year are we talking? Uh, but starting from 1978 is okay. actually, and uh, in, in a Baha'i faith, we have uh, structures of the governing bodies, which have we call them local uh, spiritual assemblies and national spiritual assemblies. And the government at that point uh, started persecuting Baha'is and uh, sort of cancelled all of these organisations, and some of the people uh, got kidnapped and never found some uh, taken uh, 
to the prison, uh, tortured and uh, persecuted and executed. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of other people sort of uh, as part of that because of their faith uh, expelled from the the uh, the work and they had to take off the uh, sort of the public or personal sort of uh, work or jobs if you want to call it. So if your father was alive do you believe that maybe he might have been one of the people that were taken? Um, I think so because he was serving in the army at okay. that time and there's a lot of uh, although the, the people in army that were persecuted uh, majority were in Baha'is, but because they were part of the previous regime, they got executed. And I think my father would have suffered as part of that. So it probably was a blessing that he didn't have to go through that sort mm. of thing. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, there's a lot of other things happened that the uh, uh, the students uh, weren't comfortable at the schools and they were sort of being harassed by others because of the religion. And although going to the middle school and that kind of a thing, you could see that the, there's a lot of people either at school and things sort of saying different things, which was nice, wasn't nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people couldn't go to sort of, uh, they've been banned from going to the universities to actually study at higher education. There's a lot of things happened there. Mm. And it, it was a difficult time. So uh, at, at that stage, a little bit later, when I finished my high school, uh, had a chat with the family and that kind of things, and we decided to leave Iran. Uh, however, because we were Baha'is, we couldn't directly leave because we were not issued passports to before, be able to do so. Before we jump into this story, I have never seen, you know, a bomb go off or people throwing fire or people, you know, protesting like that. How did you feel as a young person the first time that you saw something like that happen? Um, at that time, my family were trying to actually protect us from that. Okay. And it's sort of, uh, and we were sort of mindful as well, not to get involved in that kind of things. Okay. And if we go, I mean, during that revolution time, the schools were closed. So we had to stay home and sort of, when those sort of things happen, we stay home and don't get involved in that kind of thing. But you could see that what was happening there and uh, the suffering that a lot of people went through, right or wrong, but I think something that shouldn't have happened, but happened in terms of the people suffering and that kind of things. And the people can see that now it's uh, mm-hmm. with the way it is and how when um, uh, when get people get prosecuted and for reasons that actually uh, shouldn't get prosecuted. It, yeah. it, 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 it's a difficult situation. Mm. So um, one of the things that happened at that time before leaving Iran was the war between Iran and Iraq. I don't know if you're aware that that time that happened then. And uh, our house was probably around not even five minutes from the, the airport. And the first day that actually the war started, we saw the planes coming and actually bombarding the airport. Mm. And it was that was frightening as well. Mm. So you could see the plane and actually see the bombs drop, and you can hear the whole things like an earthquake happening. So yeah, it, it wasn't an easy sort of situation to live in. What did so. you do? Did you just stay at like what do you do in a situation like that? Uh, you get used to it. It's just, I mean, it's is that you can't, I mean, the first time you see it, it, it's a shock. 
but what you do is that you best protect yourself go somebody safe and somebody that actually there are people that actually can relate to and talk to and they can support you as well so and, and that was good with the with the people around us as i said the neighborhood knew us yeah, and that right. kind of thing so that sort of support is good to have did you ever feel fearful that maybe like you are you would get persecuted because of your faith we had different type of persecutions i mean i remember uh i was beaten up twice at the school at the high school uh, because of this the people knew we were baha'i so they come and sort of yeah a few of them and you can't do much and uh, even walking in the street and doing that sort of a thing they sort of uh, swear at you and that kind of things and sort of put you down but uh, but i think it, it depends that's what the belief is important and how strong it is, you, you stick to it. And uh, and that's what the Baha'i's faith is about. It's just uh, not looking at the negatives, look at the positives and actually, actually move forward and uh, advance the society. Uh, you don't bring yourself down by sort of getting into those acts and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's just, you put a sort of a barrier in front and try to actually move the other way. and. We thought that, I mean, as I mentioned that with the family, that it's uh, uh, for us, it, there wasn't sort of any educational future and that kind of thing. So they decided, uh, the whole family decided to move. So we came as sort of in, in different stages. My older brother uh, came first. Uh, he sort of traveled from uh, south of Iran, southwest, and then uh, they had to with different methods, uh, with the youth, with the motorcycle, with the camels and that kind of things to pass through the, the border to go to the Pakistan as refugees, as a, as a religious refugees. Mm. So you really, yeah, you couldn't get passports. You had, you, you had to, you couldn't stay. You had to leave and you had to be creative about getting out. Yes. And, mm. and I think the international community realized that. Mm. And so there was actually, they, they sort of created passages mm in different countries so we can go there and stay and get processed and then come to the to the countries that uh, sort of uh, were available we could move on and start a new life so what was your passage how did you get out um it's basically it was uh, myself my mother my brother and my sister got married as well. she was and had two children uh, one of them was 3 year old and one of them was seven two girls so we had to we sort of uh, got a plane from Tehran to into the uh, southwest, and from the uh, there was an arrangement done with the people to actually get you over the passage, and we got back on the youth sitting in there for hours going, and then after that we had to take uh, sort of motorcycles. I mean, somebody was riding it, but we were just sitting at the back and that kind of thing going through and then after that again change the cars so it took about two three two days i think mm. days and one of the interesting things was that actually when we went through the youth got stuck in the middle of the river uh -huh. and that was close to the night as well and it was very cool so he said what are we going to do and the guy came down and said all right start pushing so push what it's uphill <laughs> in the river. what are you going to do so we have to do it somehow so we got out slowly slowly and sort of got it through and 
after a couple of year, a couple of days, we got to the uh, to the other side. Uh, we went to the south of uh, Pakistan, uh, which is uh, uh, the city called Karachi. And then from there, we had to go. Uh, we go back. We had to go to the uh, United Nations sort of uh, section of that area mm-hmm. to introduce ourselves and that kind of things, which we did. And we might just pause there and uh, find out where you went to after that. This is Life Burst. We'll be back with more story right after this. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. This is a life burst, and we're uh, at a really uh, engaging part of the story. Mm-hmm. You've fled as religious refugees from uh, Iran, and you're now in Pakistan. And uh, you're at the UN, and hoping that there's somewhere you can go for uh, for refuge. Yes, uh, at the time we go to UN, it's it's sort of much easier for us because uh, the Baha'i international community. Uh, sort of have talked to you, United Nations and different countries to be able to take us. Mm-hmm. And uh, the UN sort of recognized that. So it sort of provided some uh, some relief for us to mm-hmm. be able to live in the Pakistan and settle down a little bit mm-hmm. until our application gets processed. Uh, and as part of that, it's sort of... Uh, it's an unknown that mm. how long is that going to be? You have to pass a medical, you have to do certain things, which is all reasonable and understandable. Had you met up with your brother at this point to, to go this thing? Yeah. Yes. So my brother that actually moved on first to Pakistan, they settled down and sort of with another friends, which they had their own family as well. They, uh, they had a kind of a, a two-story house uh, rented out. Sort of, we, we joined them too because we didn't know the place and that kind of thing. We didn't know how and where to go mm. to, to do that sort of things. Why did your brother go first? Was there a reason? Um, my brother was one of those people that was very active in the Baha'i faith. And he was one of the members of the, uh, the assembly of one of the provinces of Iran, Tabriz. And the the government was after him and to get him and prosecute him and that kind of thing. So it, it, he he had a chat with the sort of uh, the relevant people in the Baha'i faith to see what's the best way to go. And they advised him that, okay, it's better for you to leave the country as soon as possible. Mm. So that's why he left first to, to do that. And... Uh, and he had two children as well, two young children, and uh, so he 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 left first. And while he was there, he told us about a bit of a thing that's happening there. So we went there, we joined him, uh, and uh, after a while, we got our own place. Basically, my mother, my brother, uh, we joined a sort of a a, a household that there were probably around twenty other. Baha'is lived in there and sort of each one of us had the room and each room had his own facilities for the things but there was a kitchen downstairs that uh, and also the the actual <coughs> the landlord was living there as well and she was a very nice lady 
and treat us very well. Mm. So during that time is that uh, we said, okay, what are we going to do while we're waiting? So we started learning a bit of uh, English to to the best of our abilities. And uh, we looked at it and said, well, we left Iran for our faith. And as part of that, we said, how are we going to strengthen that a bit more? So there were classes and sort of study sessions and that kind of things that we, we sort of got involved. And uh, we found a lot of new friends that actually the people, the Baha'is and sort of non-Baha'is, even the Muslim people had to leave because of the uh, belief systems and uh, many other things. Right. So we found a lot of different people and I think it was a blessing to actually, to, to actually know them and to see where they come from and hear their stories as well, like the program that you have mm -hmm. now. So, uh, that gives you always an insight that uh, you can pick up the things that you think are good and 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 do that. And how did you learn English? Did you have a book? Did you know someone? How did that work? Uh, I had a couple of books and we had a dictionary, but there's all. I mean, what I found out is that you learn you don't learn the language until you actually practice it, and you're not in that environment. You learn sort of. Uh, little bits, a synopsis of it and that you can put together, hopefully, and hoping that actually you, you actually deliver the message that you, you're wishing to. Mm. And we found out and we came here, especially with the, with the language and accent and that kind of things. And I think I speak about the Persian accents, but it's, uh, it, it's not a, it, it wasn't easy to, to learn English mm. then. So we tried our best to actually look at the keywords and a bit of a grammar and that kind of thing. And I remember that when we came here, it's maybe I'm jumping forward, but just just a clear thing is that we came here, we the, the place they were longing for, we lost the key, and none of us knew really what to say, <laughs> uh, to say what has happened or what are we going. To, and it was good that one of the guys, his English was it wasn't too bad. He said, "Well, just go see this person and say lost key," and then say, "All right." Okay. Just went over there and said, said the person lost key and the person said, right, came back and said, well, which door were you referring to? And then it came and sort of, so it, it, it said, you can see that we weren't actually that, uh, that advanced in an English right. language at that stage. <laughs> but, yes. Wow. You got a key, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested too about, um, you, you spent some time learning more about your faith. What, what are the key things that set the, the Baha'i faith? apart from, from others, or the key distinctives that have been important for you? Uh, thanks for asking that, because it, it, it's important. And uh, it, it, I think the main principle, and it, these are my views, and not the views of it, it's just my understanding of it. So, I mean, and the Bible encourages every people to do the independent investigation of truth. And whatever truth is in the life is, is for them to go and find out. So... People hearing this or they're interested, I encourage them if they like to, they go independently investigate it themselves. Don't take my word as a gospel. So <laughs> um, I think that the main belief of the Baha'i faith is basically on the unity of God, uh, unity of religion, and unity of humanity. All religions from past to now, it's they believe on the same God. It's the same thing, we call it different thing. It's like the sun that came up yesterday and comes up today. It's the same. Mm -hmm. So when we have 
prejudices about the religion, I think that's not right because we believe on the same God and he sent his different messengers at different time to guide humanity to live in an ever advancing civilization, both spiritually as well as physically. As I said, it's one religion. The messengers come at different time because our understanding grows and they send, I mean, we had messengers, Abraham, Krishna, Buddha, Jesus Christ, Muhammad, the Bab, and the latest one, which is the founder of Baha'i faith, which is Baha'u'llah, which means the glory of God. We believe he's the latest messenger. And he's come back to actually unite, regardless of religion, creed, background, whatever it is, because it is that we, we, the God has created us to be one, and that with the concept of the one, humanity comes. Regardless of whatever our belief system is, we need to be able to put aside the differences and look at what commonalities are there to be able to build, develop our souls and build the communities that everybody can see themselves as a contributor, part of it. And viewing that kind of a word, it, it's, it's sort of, it's difficult for a lot of people, but that's the destination of the humanity and it has to happen. And we need to live with that. We need to appreciate uh, that as a human beings, we have souls we have to nourish and the guidance that these manifestations of God bring with humanity, we need to take them on. As a Baha'i, we need to pray, meditate, and act on it and reflect on it to see how we can actually advance. As part of that, we work with other people and other people help us. We don't see as us and them. We see every is all inclusive, not exclusive. We don't see disunity. We like to see unity. And that doesn't mean that everybody has to be a specific thing. I think that's what not God wanted for us and not what the messengers of God wanted for us. I think that's the key. Mm. That it, and, and I think the people in Baha'i faith, they look at different activities for community building. They're looking at the spiritual program for children at the younger age to nourish them in sort of the spiritual aspect, the virtues, humility, trustfulness, truthfulness, and that kind of things to actually build those kind of fundamentals, which I think every faith does. Mm. And from there, looking back, going to the next stage of the life, junior youth and that kind of thing, is we have a junior youth empowerment program that that the the youth at that age can see them as agents of becoming people that can actually nourish that process and help to build the community. And then from there, we have different things like study circles that adults and youth come together and collectively sit down and study the writings and to see how they can actually develop capacities to be an agent, to work with other people. And actually, it's not that they know everything, but is that the concept actually working together to becoming, it's a hard thing to do.
Yeah. We sometimes it's hard for us to come out of the comfort zone and want to understand the change, practice it, and then implement it. And that's what it's trying to do. To is that okay? Let us work together. Let us see how we can become that vision that God and His manifestations wanted us to be. And that's going to continue. And mm. the body of faith, it sort of looks at it and says, well, our faith is not the last faith. Mm. It's, it's going to be other ones that are going to come because humanity is going to grow. And only God knows where it's going to come. Yeah. So it's just going yeah. to be Thank there. You. Thank you for sharing that. It's, uh, that's the, really good to hear. Not a lot yeah. of people would necessarily know your set of beliefs. And I can see how it would have been difficult for you and your family to be persecuted for your beliefs when you can see the good in in others as well. But uh Thank you for sharing. We're, uh, we'll come back right after this. Uh, this is Life Birth with Matt and Sarah. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects 1 in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut community service announcement. Welcome back. This is Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. We're having a lovely chat today, learning so much. As always, take us on the next step of the journey. You were, you know, you're in Pakistan and you've escaped as religious refugees. What happens next? So um, I think, as I mentioned, there was a process mm, from yeah. actually the United Nations that needs to happen. So you were allocated a country and then you can go to that. So after a year, we got the news that we've been accepted to actually to move to Australia. Yay. Uh, yes. And, was that good was news? A, that was know? a very welcoming you news. Things. Because we heard a lot of good things mm. that it's a new country, kind of a new country. And uh, there's a lot of people coming from different backgrounds there. So in terms of the actual uh, settling down, I think it's it's easier because many people have experienced that process. Mm-hmm. And But my older brother, uh, he wanted to go somewhere else for the faith, which is more uh, sort of urgent at that stage. So he was accepted to go to to the to Ireland. Okay. Uh, not the Northern Ireland, the, the Republic of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So he moved there, and when I actually went to visit him, and I was, it, it, I'm not sure if you've been to Ireland, but it's very no. cold, mm-hmm. but it's very green. I've heard it's very mm-hmm. cold and green. And yeah. he was actually at the top, which was, I mean, I went there during winter. I didn't pro, uh, plan it very well. <laughs> so, and... Uh, you could see you could see how much snow and ice and that kind of thing is there. So um, so he moved there and with the family, and we moved to the to Australia. And as part of the journey, because uh, our travel was to go to Hong Kong and then from Hong Kong to Singapore and then Singapore to Australia. <coughs> so just summarize the little things that happened there. Because when we went to Hong Kong, we had to wait for I think about twelve hours for mm-hmm. the next flight, and we got there at night and uh, couldn't sleep mm. because it, um, it's chairs and floors, and it's not nice. It's just just lie down in the middle of the airport and mm-hmm. go to sleep. So we didn't sleep there, and then we went to the we went to Singapore, and we had to wait about I think four hours in Singapore as well to to take the next travel. 
What type of things did you take with you? Uh, clothes. Just clothes. When we came to Australia, I'll, I'll just mention this. When, I, when we came to Australia, my brother, myself, and my mother had our clothes and only $100 mm. in our pocket. Yeah. That's all what we had as if you use. Did you have pictures or anything like that as well? Or uh, we left all of those back in Iran, a lot of it. Maybe we had a little things that my mother brought, but a lot of it left back in Iran. Was the hope that you could go back and get them or? Oh no, some of the, <coughs> some of the friends that we actually left those with them, they actually send it later. Oh, but okay. in terms of when we came here, what we came, that was the kind we of thing. Carry, yeah. And we had, because for the passing through the Iran to Pakistan, we had to sell everything mm. to pay for it. So in terms of the monetary part of it, it, it was little. Mm. And uh, so when we got to the Singapore, we were so tired. So, and Singapore had these big sort of sofa couches kind of things, mm -hmm. very relaxing. So mm -hmm. I just went there and put my head down and fall asleep. And it's funny thing, they announced and the whole family went and at the time they won't actually go boarding, they realized I wasn't there. They left you. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, and I have no idea. When I got up, put my head up, these still my brothers are just coming back, shouting, come on, come on, come on. And they said, well, what's happening? He said, well, where are you? We're looking for you. We, the, the plane is waiting and kind of thing. Sort of, yeah, that was the thing that was interesting. Yeah. So, I got there and came to Australia and was welcome with... Uh, uh, from the government as well as the Baha'i community. And uh, we were settled in, in one of the sort of uh, the barracks was at the Grand Junction Road. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I say barrack, it was kind of a, the sheds you see these days that they had a, a, just a bed in there. And uh, with the the bath and that kind of things, you had to go outside because there was a common one yeah. that people used. And also they had the kitchen and a hole. There you go for the breakfast and that kind of thing. So we were there about six months. And uh, in some sense, it was relaxing. You didn't have to do much. Uh, and just waiting to see what's happened next, what the process is. Knowing that you were safe, you could relax, right? Yes, yes. It's it, You... Even in Pakistan, we were safe, I think it is. But here it is, you go to your destination mm -hmm. and you got to sit down and work out what's the next chapter of mm -hmm. your life and mm -hmm. how you're going to be doing that. Yeah, what and, happened next? And as part of that, it's just the, the first thing was that I think, which was very important, they set up uh, uh, language schools yeah. for the English classes. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, although I finished my high school in Iran, it wasn't accepted here, so you had to do year 12 again. So it was a difficulty with English. So I went to the, those language center for six months. And then after that, went to do the year 12. Mm -hmm. uh, at that time, it was a Dorset High School in the South. And uh, so successfully passed that. And I've got to an engineering course at the University of South Australia, which was at Mawson Lakes. That time was called Levels. Mm -hmm. So started doing that and uh, got my degree as well as and it, it was interesting there as well that uh, coming because still your English is not that good and 
it was funny when I actually went to a computer class and I hadn't seen computers before. So I was just there and the people looking at the screen, typing on the keyboard and I'm just sitting there. What am I going to do? I didn't know even have to press the button to turn it on. <laughs> so it was that difficult. Yeah. So, but I mean, as I said, I learned from my mother resilience and strength to go back and work out what it is. So learn the computers and uh, that sort of thing, how to use it, how to make new friends here at, at the university and found a lot of friends and they're all from different backgrounds or welcoming or from, and they open us, they actually uh, welcomed us and helped me a lot, a lot of them. So where did you go first from the barracks? You were at the barracks and then uh, you went somewhere else? Okay, at barracks we actually, they gave us a sort of a little apartments down in Goodwood Road, one of the side streets, just just in front of the showground. Okay. So we went there and we there for six months Yeah. until uh, we got a government house in South, in Doors Road. Yeah. And that's when I actually started going to the school at the Doors Road High School. And, uh, and because, I mean, uh, my brother started working in a factory here to, to support us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I sort of going to the school as well as, uh, going to the calls because at that time you didn't have those scanners and that kind of thing. You had to actually buy, uh, put the price on everything. So oh, wow, okay. I, I, yeah, I used to work there at night, uh, yeah. three, four hours. Fantastic. We yeah. will come back with more Life First with Matt and Sarah straight after this. If you think more people should listen to this, share this podcast on social media. Welcome back to Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. Now, a question that I ask all the time and a question that our viewers love is, how <laughs> did you meet your wife? That's interesting. Um, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> because it, uh, I said that from Iran and... Yeah. Our weddings are very big, most okay. of the time. So we get a lot of people coming in from different places, mm -hmm. uncle, aunties, cousins, friends, and that kind of thing. Because we invited to those, we have to invite them, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's one of our friends was getting married here. And uh, so we went there and uh, I met my, I saw my wife there, but I actually didn't talk to her. And, uh, what did you think of her when you saw her for the first time? It's getting recorded. <laughs> <laughs> well, he remembers that something. No, I, I think uh, I think when I saw her first, is that's it, that probably it's going to be the person I can live with. So, and that's I think with every marriage, uh, it's you don't know until really you live together properly to see how the ins and outs are and how you can actually work together. But. Uh, First time I saw her, I liked her. So, and uh, when talked to my sister, it, it sort of turned out that our family knew each other from back in Iran. Oh. So, uh, as part of that, I said, okay, let's go and meet them and sort of have an extended discussions mm -hmm. and then see how we're going to go and that kind of thing. So, uh, she's from Melbourne and the family, she's got a very sort of extended family in Melbourne and generally in Australia. So, uh, and we knew the extended family as well back in Pakistan. So we went and met uh, 
sort of had a chat with her and that kind of things. And then uh, we sort of met more and that kind of thing and said, well, yeah, let's, let's get married. So the extended chat with the family was to see how you were and how she was and if, uh, if it's it, mutual, it is part or? of her. But the thing is that, uh, um, as I said, the Baha'i faith looks at everything as an inclusive, as uniting. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a two people getting married together. It's actually the families come together and mm -hmm. united. Yeah. And, extend, and that's how the unity gets established. Mm -hmm. And one purpose of that is that, and also the other thing is that the family we see it as always supporting. So even the children get married, we, we don't interrupt or get into sort of uh, into their life that kind. But if the thing is that if they feel support that's needed and that kind of thing, the family is always there. So it's important the two families know each other mm -hmm. and say how they can actually work together. And, mm -hmm. and that's an important thing. So so was it like a proposal or? Mm -hmm. uh, it, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, the family know that actually you want to know each other better and that kind of thing. So you do that and we all feel comfortable that this is actually something that's going to work, hopefully. Mm. And uh, as part of that, you get into the engagement process that it says you engage, that means you two look, the purpose is that at the end of it, you get married and you know each other better, ins and outs, that kind of things, family, hopefully. And then after that, you set up your dates and marriage and that kind of thing. Right. So we got married in 1996. Yeah. It's good. I remember that. You did. <laughs> you know, you watching? Good job. <laughs> and uh, sort of uh, at that time, I was, uh, I was working at uh, uh, Port Hedland, uh, doing some work there. Mm -hmm. And then from there... After we got married, I came back to Adelaide, settled down in uh, Paynham. Yeah. It was our first house, rental. And then uh, from there, we sort of uh, started looking at what sort of the things we're going to do exactly, uh, know each other better, uh, ups and downs, I think, with every sort of marriage and that kind of things. And then you had kids? Uh, yes, we have two lovely kids. Aww. Uh, the first one uh, was born in 1998, and his birthday was yesterday. So, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, he's a lovely son. Yes. Uh, and my second one uh, is my daughter Donna. My son's name is Efan, mm -hmm. and Efan basically translated it, it means knowledge of God. Uh, it's an Arabic name. Mm -hmm. uh, Donna's English name is mm -hmm. Lady, mm -hmm. and she's a lady. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, so these two are the fruits, some of the fruits of this yeah. uh, marriage, and uh, I'm very proud of them. Yeah. How the sounds of it, you are. Yeah. They, they, I think this is my view from the children. You want them to have the right character. And... What they study and what's going to happen in the future is all based on the characters and what sort of persons are and how they treat themselves and others. I think it's very important, mm -hmm. and that's what I find in actually in any work that you do, because uh, they can't build up your character. They can train you for other things, but if your characters are your honest person, 
you're dedicated, you're resilient, that kind of thing. That's what I think the people are looking for. And they can train you on different things. And if you've gone and studies, to me, the view study teaches you how to learn. And you can learn things very quickly. I think that's what should be important. Mm. To you. you can see through your own story how your character's been built by Definitely. your experiences and um, those around you as well. So Definitely. thank you so much for sharing with sure. us today. And, and uh, I love how uh, when you pass someone in the street, you, you just never know the, the depth of the story, where they've been, and uh, we've got an insight into your life yes. uh, and your faith today. So thank you so much for sharing that. In the final one minute of our show, if you had one piece of advice to share with our listeners, what would that be today? I think it, it, it comes from... It comes from actually the uh, my belief, and I think one thing probably we all can learn from this COVID is that we're not alone, and we should tackle everything, all the challenges, as as a community and in a unified manner, and be good to each other, be truthful, honest, and try to build that unified version that or vision that actually the the it supports the humanity should have thank you fantastic thank you for coming in on today's show and thank sharing you for having me life with us been special and you can catch up with us life burst wherever you get your podcasts from and on facebook and youtube and of course community tv and radio don't miss another story next week, but thank you again so much for joining us. This has been Life Bursts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman, with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshraw Ozardigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Raw Cut production.